בשם השם נעשה ונצליח. שיעור תורה, great to be in Aventura, ברוך השם, glad to see some new faces. And uh, like I told everyone, one of the signs of Am Avinu is uh, our forefather. And they say that you have to, to know that whether you are a, uh, one of the descendants of Avraham Avinu, you have to have a few qualities, you have to be generous, you have to be shy, um, you have to be merciful. But uh, if I may, as you know, just for, for sake of laughter, I uh, say that if you also want to know if you're a descendant, is if you're late. If you're late, you're for sure Jewish. If you're late, you're for sure Jewish. If you're coming on time, it means you're a convert. You're a convert. Once you're, once you're in the system for five, six years, you're going to come late. So, because then you know for sure you're 100% Jewish already. After a few years, you can start coming in late. So, Bezat Hashem, we uh, continue to uh, publicize the shiurim. More and more people are enjoying the lectures, doing tshuva. Uh, next week, uh, if I, uh, so I don't forget, next week I'm not going to be here. Uh, next week, Be'ezrat Hashem, we have a uh, short little tour in New York. Uh, we're going to do four lectures in uh, two nights, uh, on Monday and Tuesday of next week. Uh, Be'ezrat Hashem, a few different places. Uh, hopefully, we'll, uh, we'll have a lot of people, a lot of uh, old faces, new faces. And very excited to help Am Yisrael do tshuva. Uh, actually, the trip was meant for something else, but it ended up uh, being for this. You know, Hashem makes you think you're going one direction, but He says, no, that's the real reason, something else. So Ezra Hashem are going to be there. Also, for anyone who's missed out any part of this series, it's uh, Musar Pirkei Avot series. I'm told by people that are watching this series, that have been listening to Shuim for the last few years, that this series by far is drastically better than anything we've ever done. Uh, it's a very, very different way of, uh, of teaching, very different way of learning. It's a, even though we use constant sources from the Torah, Apparently, these are forgotten sources. You know, we have the written Torah, we have the oral Torah. The written Torah is available to everyone. You have the uh, five books of Moses, you have the 24 total books that include the five books of Moses in the Tanakh. You have commentary by Rashi, by Rambam, Ramban. You have a commentary by major sages. Um, and um, you have uh, an extraordinary amount of knowledge in the written Torah. We also have the Oral Torah. And the Oral Torah is drastically bigger as far as the quantity that we have uh, than the written Torah. And uh, part of the Oral Torah is also the commentary. But the other part of the Torah is the Gemara, the, the, which is also known as the Talmud, the Zohar Kadosh, which part of that is also the Kabbalah, uh, the Midrashim, the Haggadot, uh, and... Uh, the Talmud Yerushalmi says that someone that hasn't read about the Haggadot, which are like the uh, different stories that the sages say, some are meant to be literally, that's what they're saying, even though it's miraculous stories of uh, different miracles they performed and so on. Some are parables. But uh, needless to say, the, uh, the Talmud says that anyone that hasn't read and connected to the Haggadot of the sages has never touched anything concerning Yirat Shamayim. Has never even understood what it means to have Yirat Shamayim because these Haggadot, part of the reason of why they're so magnificent and extraordinary is to get your heart to shake. 
get your heart pinched a little bit, change a little bit. You know, people spend tens of thousands of dollars, even if they don't have it. They borrow it. They, uh, you know, they uh, take advances from uh, their jobs. They, uh, you know, sell their 401k money. They do all types of things to get a hold of five, ten, twenty thousand dollars to go to Musar seminars. Unfortunately, the Musar seminars are not really Musar seminars by the Torah. The Musar seminars they're called in the uh, in the secular world self-help. So they go to different famous speakers like a uh, Tony Robbins and other people that are like him, that in essence what they teach is Musar. They teach you things to help you. But how are they going to help you? First, we have to identify that there's something wrong. First, we have to identify that we are not perfect. First, we have to identify that we're sick. We're sick. Being sick is not necessarily such a bad thing. You could use it for your advantage. You could learn from it. You could start appreciating things differently. But first we have to identify that there's something that we have to correct. Because if anyone in this room is already perfect, this class is for sure not for you. I come here because I know I'm far, far away, probably further from everybody else from being perfect. So this is a class that is for the purpose of us helping ourselves by learning Musar, by learning the teachings of God. The difference between Tony Robbins and what we learn is that Tony Robbins learns things that he's learned through experience. By the way, come in if you're waiting. You don't have to wait out there. You come in. Don't uh, be embarrassed or anything. It's fine. We're all late. We just talked about how part of being Jewish is being late. Uh, so the, uh, the key is that when you have these different self-help coaches... They call themselves coaches, speakers, and so on. There's uh, also the uh, the guy uh, that um, uh, ran a chop house. He ran a uh, brokerage firm that stole a lot of money from investors some time ago and then got arrested and then made a movie about it. I forget his name. He's a very, very good speaker. Um, Jordan, Jordan Belfort. He's also become a, uh, a very motivational speaker. And he teaches from, you know, the good parts of his experience. The difference between their teaching and Musar from the Torah is their teaching is based on human experience. Their teaching is based on their own logic, what they saw, what they see is right, what they see is wrong. And the flaw in that teaching is that it's human. It's human. So humans have flaws. So there was, there used to be a very, very good speaker, probably one of the best speakers in all of history. I don't know all the speakers that have ever been in history, but I can tell you for sure, anyone that knows and appreciates speaking would tell you the same. I've been speaking for 20 years, first in the business world, then in the Torah world for the last few years, and I, I appreciate speakers. Someone that's a good speaker, that's motivational, that can get you shaken a little bit, that gets you to do something about it. It's a, it's a, it's a skill set. It's something extraordinary. So I could tell you that some years ago, about 70 years ago to be exact, there was a speaker that was extraordinary. Probably the best speaker ever. And he used his logic to motivate people 
with a further extent than I think anyone else did, at least after him, if not before him. The problem is that he used his own logic, human logic, remember. And his human logic told him that he has to tell people to go kill other people, specifically Jews, or people of color, or homosexuals, or anyone that didn't fit his description. And his name was Adolf Hitler. Now, you don't need to understand German to know that Adolf Hitler was a great speaker. Just from hearing him and how passionate he was about his speech, see, this is something out of this world. Mamash, the koach of the Satan was in him. Some of the Gedolei Adolf said it's probably the Satan in human form. Made a deal with him or something. But the power of speaking was extraordinary. So, of course, I'm not comparing Tony Robbins or any of these other decent human beings to Hitler. The point I'm trying to tell you is that when you are speaking from logic, human logic, by default, it's flawed. Because it's human. It's subjective to what you feel is right. The good news is, is that we also have available to us divine logic. Logic from God. Teachings, what about? Teachings from God, Musar from God, self-help from God. That he taught Moshe Rabbeinu in Al-Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu taught all of the people during his generation, Yeshua ben Nun, the 70. Um, if you don't mind, can you move her chair to the other table to sit with the other women? Oh, actually, yeah, sit right over here. Right over here, next to Tzadikah over here. Yeah. Right. So he doesn't bother you during the shiur. He talks a lot. So, he, uh, the key is to know that this logic was taught by Hashem to Yeshua ben Nun, to the 70 elders, to all of the prophets, generation after generation. Eventually got to the sages, the Tanaim, the Amoraim, all the sages that's, that are mentioned in the Gemara. For the last 3,000 years, we've had this oral tradition travel and we know where everything came from. We can track every single thing that's written to a source. Even if it's a book that was written in the last 50 years, or the last 100 years, or the last 200 years, we can see where their source is. Because any respectable book, Torah book, has to provide sources. Okay, you have a nice idea. It makes sense, Kvod makes sense. What's your source? Is it your logic? Or is it God? If it's your logic, maybe yes, maybe no. It could make great sense. But it's maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe good today, maybe bad tomorrow. If it's God, it's permanent. God doesn't change his mind. Even Bil'am, Rasha, the evil prophet, told us a couple of weeks ago in Parashat Balak that Hashem doesn't have thoughts like us. He doesn't change his mind like us. This is extraordinary knowledge that we learned from Rasha. The reason why it's extraordinary knowledge because it shows that anything that's written in the Torah is permanent. Again, anything that's written in the Torah 
is permanent. In the Gemara Masechet Megillah, they ask, how many prophets did Am Yisrael have throughout all of history? And the answer is, there was at least double the amount of men that left Egypt were prophets. So it's written in the Torah that there was 603,500 men between the ages of 20 and 60. So the Gemara says there was at least double double that, 1.2 million prophets throughout history. So the next natural question is, okay, great, we had 1.2 million prophets, fantastic. Where are they? Where's their Torah? Where's their teaching? Because according to our Tanakh, we only have 48 men, seven women. We're missing a few. 48 men, seven women, 55. We're missing a few for 1.2 million. A few, just a little bit, not that much. We're missing a few. Where'd they go? What, they didn't like them? It's prophecy, it's words from God. It's not like it was logic. Prophecy is God. Where'd they go? My answer is, the only things that are mentioned in the Torah are things that are permanent. Their prophecies for the 1.2 million... Their prophecies were relevant to their own time. It was relevant to their own time. Whatever they said was relevant to their own generation, their own place that they were living in, their own town, their own whatever it was. It was relevant to them and the people around them and their students. It wasn't relevant forever. Meaning that anything that's mentioned in the Torah, it's permanent. It's forever. It's relevant to you. So when anyone asks, wait a minute. Didn't God know that we're going to be a weak generation? It's going to be hard for us to keep Shabbat because everyone else is driving, even to Shul on Shabbat. It's hard to keep Shabbat. Didn't God know that it's hard to be a modest woman because every other woman is walking around with a tank top, short, sometimes even not that? Do you know, if you ask your grandparents, Bo Hashem, everybody's very young here, if you ask your grandparents, Abba, Ima, Grandpa, Grandfather, Saba, Safta. You ask him. First I said, Abba Ima's father, mother. Um, so, live. No edits. So, <laughs> so you ask uh, Saba and Safta, can you uh, show me pictures from when you were a kid? If you have any, you have any pictures. And you see them, whether they're Jewish or not Jewish, whether they're around Jews or not Jews, Everyone's clothes is like this, covering. The only thing you see is a face. Very modest. They don't show. You don't know what anybody looks like. Everyone looks skinny. Everyone looks. Everyone looks the same. Whatever the face is, but the clothes is very big. You tell them, yeah, but Ima, what do you think of uh, little Samantha over there in her uh, tight jeans and uh, tank top? You know what they would tell you if they actually had the ability to speak freely, and they weren't worried about the political correctness of this world, you know what they would say to you? Yes, that's underwear. What she's wearing, yeah, 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 we used to wear that too, it's called underwear. The tank top is called underwear. The tight pants is called underwear. It's not supposed to be outerwear. It's underwear. It's what you wear under your clothes. So in reality, what you have today are Women that are walking around in underwear. 
but they don't know. Why they don't know? Because everyone else is. So all of a sudden you have a little tadika trying to wear modest clothes. They're more loose. They're more appropriate. No one knows what she looks like under her clothes. It was like, what happened? Somebody died? No, I just don't want to show the world my body. Why? Why not? Like there's something wrong with her. They don't realize there's something wrong with them. So the first problem in today's world is that we don't know that we're sick. We don't know that we're sick. We have no idea where we stand. The Or Israel, Rabbi Israel Misalant, he writes, he says, Baruch Hashem, in his days, this is almost 200 years ago, less than, a little less than 200 years ago, he says, Baruch Hashem, medicine has advanced so rapidly in his day. He's not even talking about today. If he was here today, he'd think that's, wow. He says, medicine advanced so much today that we have, oh, come on. Here, you have a seat right there. Medicine has advanced so much today that we have just as many doctors as we do diseases. If we have a disease, we have at least one doctor for it. Except if it's spiritual disease. If it's a physical disease, we have at least as many doctors as we do diseases. But if it's a spiritual disease, we have a growing amount of spiritual disaster, spiritual plagues, he calls it. But we barely have any doctors at all. This was a problem almost 200 years ago. And he says the reason why is because the only medicine for a spiritual disease is Musar and Yirat Shamayim. It's the only medicine. Everything else follows. Loving Hashem, learning about Hasidut, learning about all these different fabulous things. First, you need basic level connection. Know that you're not perfect. Know that you have to fix something. Now, in case anyone has the audacity, the goal, to say that maybe Rabbi Yisrael Misalant was wrong. This person had Ruach HaKodesh. But let's say you think, you don't know who he is. Never heard of him. First time you heard Rabbi Yisrael, who's Rabbi Yisrael? I don't see him in the Chabad house. Who is he? You don't see his picture. Which, by the way, you can't find this picture. He didn't let anybody take his picture. There's one picture they say is him, but they said this is what he would look like. But it's not really him. So, maybe you don't know him. You don't know him. Never heard of him. So we go back to the source. What's his source? Remember, we said, if it's his opinion, maybe yes, maybe no. If he has a source that has direct lineage to God, then we got something. So, Baal Hashem, on the way to the shiur, I was thinking about this, and I was listening to the shiur and, uh, by Rabbi, Rabbi um, Nisim again, and also somebody else at the same time. I don't know, a lot of things were going through my mind, Baal Hashem. And uh, these three verses came up. First and foremost, Shlomo Melech. Shlomo Melech in Proverbs 15.10 says, yamut. Someone who hates to be rebuked, meaning to be corrected 
appropriately, not to be rebuked like, hey, you stupid. No, nothing like that. Not insulting. Rebuke meaning, hey, you're sick. Your anger is a sickness. Your stinginess is a sickness. Your immodesty, sickness. These are sicknesses. These are not, oh no, he's just like that. Like a lot of people say, no, no, he just, you know, he just gets angry. He's just like that. That's just part of him. No, 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 my friend. Hashem didn't make you angry. You made you angry. He made you a baby. You ruined it and grew up. When you're a baby, you ever see an angry baby? No, they're all cute. What are they angry about? They want milk. Did you, see, did you ever see a baby lose his hair because he stressed out about mortgage? You ever see a baby say, oh, I can't believe my team lost. You ever see a baby do that? No. Baruch Hashem have two babies in the house. None of them is worried about any teams or any mortgages. And they're not losing hair, Baruch Hashem. So I can tell you from experience, baby doesn't care about that. Baby's good. Their biggest stress is just bring the food on time. So Hashem made you and we took certain paths in our life that improvised. Even though there are also some natural inclinations that Hashem gave you due to your previous life, Gigulin, which we're not going to talk about now, but nonetheless, your job in this world is to fix it. So Shlomo HaMelech says that anyone who doesn't like to hear that they're sick, who doesn't like to hear how to fix it, doesn't like to hear Musal, Tochacha is Musar, Tochacha is rebuke. Anyone who doesn't is dead. It's considered dead, like a dead person. Why? Why? Okay, doesn't like Musar, maybe he likes, uh, I don't know, he likes, uh, I don't know, something else. He likes baseball. He's alive. He's alive and well. He's playing on the team. Makes $15 million a year. Seems very much alive to me. Why is Shlomo Melech, the wisest man of all time, saying, you don't like to hear rebuke? You're dead. Dead, dead person. Same thing. You and dead person in the grave, same thing. Why? He says, because if you don't want to hear Musar, the same thing Rabbi Yisrael Misalan said 3,000 years later. There's no way you can do tshuva. Meaning you might as well die already. Because you're just ruining it every day you're alive. Every day you're alive, you're ruining it. You're making it worse. More anger, more stinginess, more this, more, more bad traits. You're not, you're not, you don't want to hear Musa, you don't want to fix yourself. You're just ruining it even more every day. The main thing that a person needs to truly understand is that Hashem himself didn't just leave it to us. He said, you don't have the instruction just from Abi Islam. You don't have to just rely on the word of Shlomo Melech despite his wisdom. You can rely on me. Shemit Barach. Another verse in Mishle. It says, "It Asher Yoav, Hashem Yochiach. Whoever Hashem loves, that's the one He's going to rebuke. If He loves you, He's rebuking you. If He loves you, He gives you tests. If He loves you, He gives you difficulties. He loves you, you're going to have problems. Why? Because He wants to fix you. 
You don't fix nothing unless it's broken. And until you realize it's broken, you're not going to want to fix it. So Hashem says, ah, Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 104 says, someone that comes to become pure, comes to sanctify themselves, to get closer to Hashem, Hashem paves their way. Hashem paves their way. Opens doors for them. Why? Oh, he realizes he's sick. He's spiritually sick. Nothing wrong with it. We're all spiritually sick. There's nothing wrong with being spiritually sick. There's something wrong with denying it. That's something wrong. Being sick is not a problem. People get sick every day. Take a medicine, you fix it. You pray, you fix it. What's the problem? Problem is someone that has cancer, Balminan. Someone has a major disease, Balminan. You tell me, hey, I have the cure. Here, I have a cure. They made it in Israel. They made a cure for cancer in Israel. Here. No, no, I don't want it. Why not? Uh, it's okay. I don't want it. I don't, I don't like Jews. You're sicker than cancer. The cancer is the least of your problems. You don't want to take the medicine. I'll give you medicine. You don't want to take it because you don't like Jews. You don't want to take it because you don't want to admit that you're sick. You don't want to take it because I'll beat this. How are you going to beat it? Here's the medicine to beat it. No, I don't want to take it. That's sicker than cancer. So being sick, spiritually sick, is not a problem. It's natural. It makes you human. Denying that you're sick, that's the problem. Now, part of the reason that many people are sick today but are in denial is also due to the fact that there's no doctors. Like Rabbi Yisrael said, there's no doctors. No one wants to tell them the truth. And the reason why is, part of the reason is that we have lack of emunah. People think that if they tell people the truth, they won't give them tzedakah. If I tell you you're sick, you're going to run out of my class. Baruch Hashem, I keep telling people they're sick, more people show up to class. I keep telling people they're sick, more views on YouTube, on Bezat Hashem, on all these different channels, more people do tshuva. But for whatever reason or another, the other teachers, there's other teachers in the world, Baruch Hashem, or at least you would think Baruch Hashem for this, it's supposed to be, they feel the need to contact me on a regular basis and tell me to change the medicine. So today, I had another one. Every day I have a new enemy. Every day I have a new Musar. Where did I get it from? I get it from rabbis. Students, oh Hashem, he changed my life. Everything is great. My wife converted. My, my husband did tshuva. My kids are going to yeshiva. All these amazing compliments. Like I'm thinking like a little main Mashiach. Like, oh, oh Hashem, look, Hashem, all oh, you look. It's like you think it's amazing, but Hashem brings me back down. He gives me Musal. He goes, hey, 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 you're nothing. You're still nothing. Let me remind you, you're nothing. I'm going to send a bunch of rabbis tell you you're nothing. Sends me a couple of bunch of rabbis tell me I'm not. Oh, I'm like, oh, Hashem, thank you, Hashem, for reminding me I'm nothing. Because the rabbis come and tell me, hey, listen, Boch Hashem, you're good, you're this, you're that, but, and they give me a whole Megillah of all the things I'm doing wrong. What am I doing wrong? You're telling people they're sick. You're telling people they're sick. You're telling people they have to work on themselves. They're all tzaddikim. I'm like, no, they're not. They all never No, they're not. They all don't have to work on anything. No, they, they do. They do. I haven't met anybody that's perfect. You met anybody who's perfect? What's his example? He says somebody that listened to your class knows him. Somebody that listened to your class got depressed after listening to a bunch of your classes. 
listened to a bunch of my classes, and after a while he got depressed. And immediately when I heard these words, I got upset. I made somebody depressed. I made somebody depressed. But then I continued reading the wisdom of this rabbi. And he tells me he got depressed because you told him that if he's married to a Goya, he's married to a non-Jew, he has no share of the world to come, he's going to lose his money, his health, and a lot of really bad things are waiting if he hasn't changed that. Whether it's her converting for the right reasons, or them getting divorced, whichever it is. Something has to happen. He became depressed. I said, Hashem. That means he's alive. If he didn't come, become depressed, he's dead. If you have a problem, you have a sickness, and somebody tells you he's the cure, she wants to convert, she believes in Judaism, she's doing Shura with you, Oh Hashem, come to me, I'll help you convert. From Aleph Atav, from A to Z. Free. I don't charge. Free. Ask anyone that's converted to me. I don't charge. One dollar. Free. Why? I know, I know the difficulty. I've been there. Who knows more about converts than me? I was there. I'm in the, I was in the battle. You're going to tell me, Mr. Rabbi, about how difficult it is to deal with a non... I was there. Baal and Isayon. Who knows more than someone that's experienced in it? My wife was a convert. I know. I know. I know when I woke up and they told me, hey, you have a problem. I also got depressed. But I didn't get depressed because I had a problem. He didn't get depressed, this guy. Didn't get depressed because he has a problem. He didn't get depressed because of that. He didn't get depressed because of what I said. I know. You know why I know? Because I was there. You know what he got depressed about? He got depressed about all the rabbis that he knew his whole life that didn't tell him. So I knew this rabbi and that rabbi and this Chabad and that Chabad and this one and that one. I knew all these rabbis, but no one ever told me it's a problem. If they would have told me, look how much pain I would have avoided. That's what I get depressed about. That's what he's depressed about. That no one wanted to give him the cure even though it was simple, it was free. That's a reason to be depressed. Now, you just have a problem. So the reality of it is that these people that have never rebuked a soul in their life and are ruining Judaism, they're ruining it. They come to me, they feel like, oh, you know what, let me make today the first day I ever rebuke somebody. Let me rebuke the rebuker. So, oh, Hashem, Hashem reminds me. But the key is for us to understand. The rebuke is not coming from a place of hate. The rebuke is not coming from a place of any anger. The rebuke is coming because I love you. And I know that if you do this, it's the cure. It's 100% the cure. Who told me? God. Here, Paul, go to him. This is instructions from God. It's not for me. I just read what he wrote. You want? That's why I break the books. Sometimes I remember things by heart. Sometimes I don't. But I bring the books in case somebody says, no, no, prove it to me. Okay, here's the book. Here you go. This verse, that line, here you go. Proof. God said it. You have a problem? Go to him. Thank you. It's going to be talking. So, he also needs, a cure needs a little bit of water once in a while. Baruch So, the key is to know that this cure, it works for everyone. Jews, non-Jews, everything. It works for all of creation. It's instructions from God. All you got to do is do it. 
It's not easy. It's absolutely not easy. But what good in the world is easy? What's good in the world that's easy? Nothing. All the things that are easy are hard, are terrible. Anything that's easy in life is terrible for you. So, first and foremost, introduction is to understand the cure is free. The cure is also difficult. But nonetheless, it's the cure. And you don't have to question whether it's the right cure or the wrong cure, because again, like I said, there's verses in the Torah, for anyone that believes in the Torah, Hashem Himself says, this is the cure. But the first thing we have to do is understand we're sick. There's nothing wrong with being sick, as long as you're fixing it. It's only wrong if you don't think you're sick. So, in this week, there's two parashot. We see parashat matot, in chapter 31, Hashem spoke to Moses saying, take vengeance for the children of Israel against the Midianites. Why? What vengeance? Because these Midianites and Moabites sent their immodest women to the camp of Israel and led Amisad to sin. In the Gemara we learn that someone that causes another person to sin is worse than the sinner himself. Someone gives another person a gun is worse than the person that shot the gun. A woman that's walking around not modest because she wants to work, you know, she wants to wear the same underwear the rest of the population is wearing. She's worse than the guy that's looking at her and imagining bad things while he's with his wife. She's worse than him. The one that's walked around, the one that he's imagining that walked around with underwear in the street, she's in a worse place than the guy that's thinking about her. Hashem specifically wrote a verse of it. He says, go take vengeance. For who? For the children of Israel. Why for the children of Israel? Because all these immodest women, they caused us to die. And almost destroyed the entire people for this. And then it says in verse 3, Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm men from among yourselves for a legion, that they may be against Midian, to inflict Hashem's vengeance against Midian. Well first Hashem says, go take vengeance for your own nation. But Moshe says, no, we're going to take vengeance for Hashem. We changed. Why we changed? Hashem says, listen, they're humans. Maybe they don't understand the significance of fighting for me yet. They just made sins a week ago. So go tell them, listen, 24,000 of your brothers and sisters died because of this. Go fight it. Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, no, no. The truth is, we're really fighting for Kvod Hashem. The truth is you're modest for Kvod Hashem. The truth is you're doing mitzvot for Kvod Hashem. Honor of Hashem. You're fighting the war for them. You're not doing it for money. You're not doing it for honor. You're providing the cure for Kvod Hashem. Rav Nisim Yagen, Zechet Tzadik Mibacha, said in one of his lectures, how does a person know that they're really on the right track? on the right track with their relationship with Hashem says if you cry every day because of the lack of honor Hashem has in this world if 
you cry every day because people don't respect and honor Hashem every day, you're close. Today, who even thinks about this, Bechlal? He died 15 years ago. This is, not that, this is not 80 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years. This is 15 years ago. Different world. But he knew we had a, we had a disease. He knew we were sick. Today's rabbis, they think we're all cured. I don't know how though. Nothing happened. Only bad. Last 15 years, everything has gotten worse. To such an extent that there was a uh, video I uh, posted a couple of days ago that's caused some chaos. Where there was a, seems secular, I don't know whether he's religious or secular, he doesn't exactly look like the most religious person in the world. Not just by his looks, but by his speech and some of the things that I heard him say. But he's an author, a well-known author, named Tuvia uh, Turgeman, I think. Or, uh, Tuvia Turgeman, is, is it? Yeah, tu, tu, yeah Tuvia Turgeman. Um, and anyway, it's on my page. And uh, he's an author, and uh, he did some research, and he said that uh, he found something that was baffling about the Jewish world. He said, you know, you're always trying to fight against anti-Semitism. You're trying to fight against people that hate Israel for no reason. Or even if they think they have a reason. point is, you try to figure out where is it coming from. After serious research, as a journalist, as an author, as a researcher, and so on, as he interviewed different major people around the world in uh, different lectures and meetings and so on, he says, with the exception of the Orthodox Jews that are proud to be Jewish, wear a kippah, learn Torah, with the exception of them in America, he says, outside of the Orthodox Jews, the biggest enemy of the Jewish people are American Jews. But which type of American Jews? The ones that are specifically connected to Reform and Conservative Judaism, the ones that are connected to the lefty, liberal mentality, the ones that are, on one end, they say they go to a shul, but they go to a shul to give a dog a bar mitzvah. They go to a shul to do a wedding between two homosexuals. They say, we're going to have a parade, but for the Palestinians. But you're Jewish. Yes, that's what we're fighting for the Palestinians. He says he went to some big meeting. There was a thousand, you know, very well-off Jews in the audience. And some uh, woman that converted, black woman that converted, gave a speech. And she said, I'm a Jew by choice. And she gave him a little speech, said two people clapped. thousand people, two people clapped. Then some Arab terrorist went on stage, and he says, I believe that the Israeli government has to pass a law that each year they have to celebrate and honor the Nakba, the day that Palestinians were killed by the Jews. And this Tuvia, who witnessed it with his own eyes, said, all 1,000 Jews stood up and started clapping for him and honoring him, this terrorist, for five minutes straight. So when I told my Rav, Rav Ephraim, 
this? He says, yeah, of course, it's no surprise. I'm like, what do you mean it's no surprise? This is awful. He goes, yeah, but it's no surprise. He says, why? Because because when you don't have Musar, you don't have Torah, you don't have truth, everything is upside down. When you don't have God, you have nothing. So everything's going to be upside down. You're going to think the cure is poison. And poison's cure. Everything is upside down. So, Baruch Hashem, we're now at uh, number 52 of the series. And um, we're continuing with what Rabbi Akiva said. But the reason why I gave this introduction is because it'll prepare you for this cure. In my opinion, out of the 52 lectures we've done, even though we've talked about some difficult things, we've talked about some... uh, things that were nice, some things that were difficult, some things that are hard to fix, some things that are easy to fix, but nonetheless, each lecture has left me at least with a list of things I have to fix. I think this one is the scariest of them all. And it says the following. Here we're still talking about Rabbi Akiva, the sage of all sages. Translation, Rabbi Akiva says, everything is given on collateral. A net is spread all over the living. The shop is open. The the merchant extends credit. The ledger is open. The hand writes, whoever wishes to borrow, let him come and borrow. The collectors make their rounds constantly every day and collect payment from the person whether he realizes it or not. They have proof to rely on. The judgment is a truthful judgment and everything is prepared for the final festive banquet. A little bit of a parable, but it sounds more like a business than it does Musal. And the reason why is because Rabbi Akiva is describing a business. He's describing the business of being God. He says, most people understand business. Saying if you buy something, it belongs to you. You sell something, it belongs to the next person. If you want something, you have to pay for it. If you can't afford it, you can't buy it. Unless you can borrow money. People understand the basic concept of business. Borrow money, lend money, buy things, sell things. Accounting, knowing your record, how to balance your checkbook, what you bought, what you sold, profit, loss. And an ultimate goal. These are all things that people understand. He says, this is no different 
in the business of being God. Only we don't like to view things that way. So he's helping us. So Rabbi Akiva says, Hashem runs his world much like a business. He has investments. They're called you. And he's going to give each one of these investments a certain amount of effort. Not that he's limited with effort, but nonetheless he's going to invest into each person certain skill sets, certain material gains, certain aspects of the person. He's going to invest into that person. But the first thing you need to know, everything is given on collateral. Everything is a loan. It's not yours. Everything has, it's an investment. It's something that he's putting into you. But in reality, it's something that you must use and you must generate a profit. Because eventually, Hashem has to collect the debt. This life that He's instilled in us, He's going to eventually have to take it back. You don't need to be religious to know that everyone dies. You don't need to be religious. You don't need to be religious to know that our time in this world is temporary. Bezat Hashem, everyone lives till 120, but the reality tells us that we're not all going to live till 120. Some less. My cousin died a few months ago. We talked about him a few times. He was in his early 20s. Second day of Rosh Hashanah, he decided to go on his scooter. And he went on a scooter, something that seems like normal, simple, nothing, non-event. He fell off the scooter, not because he got hit, just fell off the scooter, slipped off the scooter, hit his head. His head was shaking a little bit, dizzy, so he went to the hospital. Hospital said, we checked everything, you're okay. You're okay. Don't worry about it. Go home. You're young. You're 20-something years old. Life's ahead of you. Life's ahead of you. Nice guy. Very wealthy family. Smart kid. What could go wrong? Well, as the story goes, is that he went home. Same day. He went to sleep, and Hashem and Hashem, he never woke up. Now, do you think that he himself, who knows more about himself than anyone else, thought that today is my last day. So I'm going to go spend it on a scooter. Did you think that? Today is my last day, so I don't really need to call Abba and Ima and tell them goodbye, because I'll have tomorrow. Do you think that someone in their early 20s thought that he, there's even a remote chance of today being the last day for them. No. He didn't think that the Balabite was going to collect the debt early. He didn't think. So life, the older you get, you start meeting people that unfortunately are no longer in the world. You start realizing, oh, not everybody lives till 120. 
Rabbi Akiva says, why? Because everything is on collateral. Eventually Hashem decides to call the debt. Eventually Hashem says, you know what? This investment, I want it back. His own reasons. Sometimes because the investment's not working out and he sees it getting worse. Sometimes it's because of other reasons. Only he knows. But the point being, is the one that owns the debt can call the debt whenever he wants. When I was in the business world, we would invest and we'd use debt to invest. So let's say you have a million dollars, but you can use the million dollars to buy two million dollars worth of stuff. Three million dollars worth of stuff. Sometimes even six million dollars worth of stuff, depending on what you bought. Whether it was you bought bonds or you bought stocks and so on. This is very much similar to anyone that owns a mortgage. You have a mortgage for a house. Your house is, let, no, let's say it's your house is a half a million dollars or whatever it is. But in reality, when you bought the house, you put down $50,000. So you borrowed four hundred fifty. So in essence, the bank is valuing your fifty as if it's five hundred to allow you to buy the house. It's not that they're excited about lending you money. They're excited about the fact that you want to live there so that you'll do whatever you can to pay them back with interest. So in the investment world, something happened in the year 2008. All of the owners of the debt, mortgages, major banks, and so on, one day decided, you know, the few trillion dollars we lent you guys, yeah, we, uh, we're going to need them back. When? Today. Where are we going to get a trillion dollars from? Not my problem. Because if you don't get it, we're not going to be able to support the system, the whole system fails. This is what the whole bailout was about in very, 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 very junior simple terms. In essence, the ones that were borrowed, the ones that uh, borrowed, were forced to return it before they were able to, and the ones that lent realized they lent too much and to the wrong people. But the whole crash happened because of debt. Debt controls the market, not equity. So here we see very much the same thing from the source of all. Rabbi Akiva says, the one that owns all the debt needs you to know every day. You wake up in the morning. Before you decide to do good things or bad things, know that everything is on collateral. Eventually, Hashem's going to call the debt. Eventually, time's going to be over. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do today? If you knew that today is the last day, Hashem what are you going to do today? Are you going to spend today walking around imanist? And you say, you know what? Maybe today is the last day, so at least let me show up with modest clothing today. Are you going to spend today not praying? Or you say, yeah, maybe today is the last day, so at least let me say some prayer to God before I meet Him. Is today the day that's the last one? You say, no, nah, I don't feel like studying today. You're going to meet your maker. He says, listen, I gave you a book of instructions. Why didn't you read it today? Oh, I thought I'm going to have tomorrow. Yeah, but you don't. Because now you see me. 
first thing, Rabbi Akiva, Kodesh Kodeshim, he's telling you first, no, it's on collateral. That's the beginning of Yirat Shemaim. Beginning of a foundation of wisdom. Beginning of a foundation of connection to Hashem is knowing you have to have Yirat Shemaim. You have to fear this day of meeting your maker, meeting the creator, meeting Hashem at Barach. Because if you're not scared of that day, you're sicker than we thought. Next thing he says, there's a net spread all of, over all of the living. And the sages say, this is the trap. What's the trap? He says, yes, I gave you a lot of inborn skills. I gave you a brain that has more wiring in it than all of the telecom companies in the world put together. Each one of your brains has more wiring, more technology, more wisdom, more power than all of the technology companies in the world put together. I give you physical abilities to do great things. You can run fast, you can jump high, you can read, you can write, you can listen, you can see. I give you intuition. You're able to sense things without necessarily seeing them. I give you these different skills. But just like I gave you this amazing, amazing, endless amount of skills and good things, I also give you one trap. Give you one, one little trap. There's this thing called the Satan, the Yetzirah, the Malach Mavit. All three are the same. All three are the same thing. Same angel. Maran Brachot. And he's going to, his only job, he doesn't have two jobs, his only job as a Yetzirah is to convince you to use all of those skills against the hand that gave it to you. All of those skills, the eyes, go look at Imadis woman, instead of learning to her. The legs, instead of running to Bekneset, you're running to the bar. The hands, instead of holding your Sefer Torah, you're going to steal from people. He's going to, all, his only job is to convince you to do the opposite of what you're supposed to do. This very same Yetzirah is in all of us. The problem is that most of us have yet to realize that. The Gemara says that the Yetzirah, the Satan, the Malach HaMavet, he does three different things. First, he convinces you to use the tools that Hashem Yitbarach gave you against Hashem. Hashem gave you money, you're investing against Hashem. You're shorting Hashem's stock. Hashem gave you money. What are you doing? You're buying things, signs, anti-Hashem. But he's the one that gave you, he gave you money. Yeah, I'm going to go vote against him. Why? Yetzirah told me. After you do that, after you fail for the sin, the Satan goes upstairs. He goes, look, 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 Hashem, look what he did. Look what he did. He tells on you. Mastina love. He tells on you. He goes to Hashem. He says, look what he did. Look, he has this billboard. It says, I work 24-7. I work on Shabbat. Look, Hashem. That's where you give, you give him the money. You give him $500,000. What do you do? He bought a sign. What does the sign say? I don't like God. 
He goes, tells on you. After that, Hashem said, okay, investment, pull it back. Collateral. Margin call. I'm taking it back. Who's doing the job to take it back? The same Satan. He sends it as the angel of death. As the Malacha Mavit. He sends you, he goes, oh, hey, my friend, remember me? I'm the one that convinced you to do everything. I'm the one that told you. Well, I'm the one also that's going to take your life. Dreadful, dreadful angel. But he has a job. He has a job. So, his job is to convince all of us to do opposite. But the Gemara says, it's hard to beat him. And the reason why is because he's smarter than all of men. All the men that ever lived, he's smarter than all of them put together. So we're not just going to become smarter overnight. First question is, what's he smarter about? Or he learned psychiatry? I'll learn psychiatry. You learn math? I'll learn math. You learn philosophy? I'll learn philosophy. History? Tell me where you learned. Tell me what school he went to. He says, no. He's so smart... And he convinced all of us that he doesn't even exist. That's how he's smart. He's so smart that while he's inside you, right now, right now he's inside you, he's trying to convince you, go to sleep. He's trying to convince you, go home. He's trying to convince you, nah, don't agree with him. Prove it. Let me see the Satan. Let me see this. He's trying to convince you to do opposite of what you're supposed to do. He's inside you. But you know, he's, nah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think this applies to me. I don't have this satan. I don't have any, anybody convincing me. I don't see anything. No, no. I don't. What is he saying to this guy? He convinced you he doesn't exist. What is this like? It's like when I was a kid, we would annoy my dad sometimes. So my dad is very smart. He says, you know, little kids, you know, five, six-year-old little kids, what do you do with the kid? Tell them to go to do things that are just going to waste their time. And we were also smart too, but... Uh, he tell us, listen, do me a favor. Stop annoying him, whatever we were doing. Do me a favor. Go look for me in the bathroom. See if I'm there. Go see if I'm in the bathroom. As he would send us to some empty trip for no reason. In the beginning, the first time you don't get it. After the second time you get it, even when you're five. But that's what the Satan is doing to us every day, but we still don't get it. We knock on the door. Duk, duk, duk. Hello? What did he say? I'm not here. You're knocking on the door. He answers. Satan answers. Hello, are you there? Yeah, I'm not here. He's answering you. No, I'm not here. Hello, I'm not here. But you're, but you're answering me, I'm not here. No, no. It's like one of those people you ask him, can you help me? No, I don't speak English. You ever go to one of those people? Hey, can you help me? No, no, I don't speak English. Same thing. Satan, hello, I'm not here. That's the Satan. He convinced you he's not there. And you say, oh yeah, I guess you're not here. What do we do? We look idiots. What do we do? Okay, you're not here. I'll come, I'll come back later. When are you going to be here? Maybe later. That's us every day. Every time we sin, that's us. Because we think it's something else that causes us to sin. No, no, it's because of this. And we always give ourselves an excuse of why we sin. No, we sin because he forced us to have the Satan. Satan's convincing us. We're weak. We don't want to face the fact that we're sick. We failed. So first and foremost... Rabbi Akiva says, it's a trap. No, you have a trap. If you know there's a trap, you have a chance of beating it. As long as you don't face the fact that there's a trap there, there's a satan there, there's a yetzara there, you're already lost. As long as you deny that he exists, 
that he's not inside you right now, you're already lost. By the time you realize that, you're already sleeping. By the time you realize, oh, it's him, you already stole the money. It's too late. Oh, satan, okay, satan, satan, you stole the money, now you have to pay. So first and foremost, no, you have this satan inside you. You have it. You have to work on it. You have to work on beating him. So Gemara Maseret Brachot says, how do I beat him? Says, drag him to the Bet Midrash. Drag him to go learn Torah. He runs away. You actually get into learning Torah. Not just sit there like a little and go to sleep. But sit there. Actually start learning Torah. Open the book. Listen to the lecture. Write down notes. Get into it. Satan says, okay, I'm not messing with him. Why? He has the potion. The only potion that can kill the Satan is Torah. That's the cure. So this very same Yetzirah has also infested the leadership in the Jewish world, unfortunately. In the Gemara HaMasichet Sotah, page 37b, Gemara tells us that every mitzvah that we have is really 48 different obligations. In 37a is where it starts, and it goes into 37b. It says that every mitzvah is 48 different obligations. Mitzvah to learn it and to teach it. Observe it, respect it, and so on and so forth. So forth. A lot of different mitzvot. There's mitzvot that are, if you don't keep it, the punishment, and so on and so forth. It goes into the details we're not going to cover now. But the point is, is that Chazal says every mitzvah, you do one mitzvah, it's 48 different types of rewards or 48 different types of violations. It's a big deal. But then in 37b, they start an argument. The sages argue. What if you don't keep it? What if you don't keep this mitzvah? What's the big deal? What if this yetzerah fools you? What's the big deal? It says, big deal. You have to pay for it. Okay, fine, you paid for it. We got it. That's it. Because no, no, that's not it. There's another mitzvah, one of the mitzvot, one of the 613 mitzvot we have in the Torah, is ocheach tochiach et amitecha. You must rebuke your nation, your brothers, your sisters. You must tell them that they're sick. You must tell them that they have to work on themselves. You must remind them that what they're doing is wrong. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. Not doing it is 48 different violations. But here in his Gemara, it says, no, it's not. It's not 48 different violations. The lowest opinion, the lowest opinion, it says, we learn from the sages that all of Israel, all of Am Yisrael is responsible for each other. We all came from the same original soul. We are all responsible for each other. Meaning, you see your brother sinning, you don't say anything, Gemara, Masechet Sotah, also Masechet Shabbat, also Masechet Avodah and several other places, we don't need to quote everything now. Say, you see him sin, you don't say anything, you come to Shema, you say, you mechalet Shabbat. You see your friend walking around with the underwear, you don't say anything, he says, oh, you walked around with underwear. No, I walked around with uh, 1980s, uh... no, 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 you walked around with underwear. You see him driving on Shabbat and say anything? Oh, you drove on Shabbat. No, I went to your own Ruben's lecture. He said, keep Shabbat. I kept Shabbat. He goes, yeah, but your friend. Lived next door to you. 25 years. He said, never said anything. 
Yeah, but she wouldn't listen. You never listened this. Listen, you never said anything. You don't know if she would have listened or not. You don't know if she would have listened or not. 50-50. You didn't say anything, you take the sin. So Gemara says, lowest opinion, you're responsible for those around you. Highest opinion, highest opinion, says you're responsible for all of Am Yisrael. Everyone. Meaning every time you forgo rebuking someone, it's 48 times 603,500, which is the original number of men between the ages of 20 and 60 that left Egypt. He says that's the amount of sins you're committing. Shem Elachem. We think we're going up to Shemayim, we went to Shio Torah with Tzadikim, Nevonim, it tells, choo, choo, this is the sin that we've been talking about. Seventy years he's sinning. What sin? No, I did tshuva, I did this. No, no, no. You're the sinner we've been looking at the screen. Look how many sins you have. This is Gemara. It's not me. You want, here's the page number. You want to read it? Read it. So here... Rabbeinu Hirsch says that there is something I call, I came up with a name for it. He came up with the actual Chidush. I just come up with names. It's the curse of the exile. Not being in the land of Israel is already a punishment of its own. It says that when you sin, the land eventually vomits you. It says in the Torah. So not being in Eretz Yisrael, even though there's a benefit to it, in the sense that Hashem sent Am Yisrael to the four corners of the world, for a few reasons. One, to help Am Yisrael do tshuva, and two, is also convert. Convert people. Convert people to Judaism. Part of our mission. Even though, for whatever reason or another, Many Jews don't believe in encouraging other people to convert. If you read what the sages say about conversion, you would think they were talking about missionaries from Christianity. But in reality, the sages talk about conversion, psh, do whatever you can to convert people. And anyone that gets in the way of conversion is Ahul, gets the worst curse in, in the Torah. Where do we learn from it? Elisha, the story of Elisha and Gehazi. Gehazi, a servant, got in the way of conversion. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, he has no share of the world to come. A goy wanted to convert, a goy king wanted to convert to Judaism because he saw the miracle that Elisha, the prophet, made. Healed him. Healed him from Tzarat. He saw, wow, look at this. This is from, how'd you do this? Magic? was no magic. It's Hashem. It's God. One and only God. Wow, that's what God helps you do. I want to be like you. I want to be a Jew. There's no problem. Convert you. How much do I owe you? He goes, no money. I did this for God, not for you. For God I did it. Healing you, I did it for God. Honor of God. He was even more impressed than he didn't want any money. Gehazi Rasha said, what is my boss has a chance to collect half the, half the pot over here. This is the king. This is the big, this is what we've been waiting for. The big pot. He doesn't want a penny. Nothing. He couldn't take it. He goes back to the king goes, no, no, you know, my, uh, my boss, he's very, very humble. He's not going to ask you for money, but I think he needs five, six suits, maybe a little car, maybe this, small things. No, for you, king, you have a lot, small things. The king says, no problem, I'll give him whatever he wants. Whatever you say he wants, I'll give him to him, no problem. But the Torah says, 
That moment, the king says, I don't want to convert anymore. Why he doesn't want to convert? He goes, maybe it was business. Maybe. It looks like a tzaddik, but maybe it was a little bit of business. Maybe Judaism is all about business. When Elisha found out what Gehazi did, he cursed him. And he died an unusual death. He was cursed his whole life. And the Gemara says he has no share of the world to come. Why no share of the world to come? Why ain't collecting? There's a bunch of people, a bunch of different people with, with beards collecting tzedakah every day. What's the problem? He says, no, because it's collecting. Stop somebody from converting. We want more tzedikim in Am Yisrael. You got in the way. You have no share of the world to come. Shemechem. So here we have one of the missions of Am Yisrael is to convert people, people that are righteous, want to get closer to Hashem, do whatever you can to help them. Sure, they have to convert for the right reason, but if you find somebody that wants to convert for the right reason, you do whatever you can to help them, you don't get in their way. So that's, I mean, ag, that unfortunately is gone too far. The Shulchan Aruch says that you're supposed to not discourage them in a sense where you send them away. The Shulchan Aruch, the third halacha of halachot girim, talks about how you have to ask them questions that are difficult. But difficult, not in a sense that are difficult to answer, difficult in a sense of, listen, you're about to change your life. He says, so the first thing you ask him is like, listen, you know you're about to join a Jewish people which are persecuted, killed, murdered, enslaved. All the worst things in the world that ever happened, happened to the Jews. You're about to join them. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard question. Anyone that thinks about the question, it's a hard question. Ger says, yeah, yeah, I want that. Okay, next question. Last week, you drove on Shabbat, no problem. Next week, you drive on Shabbat after you convert, death penalty. Death penalty, no, no second chance, death penalty. We see you drive on Shabbat, death penalty. Yeah, yeah, exactly, I want that. He says, I want, it's a tough question. Last week, you drove to the beach on Shabbat. Next week, can't drive on Shabbat. He says, yeah, I want to do that. I, don't want, to, I want to keep Shabbat, I want to go to synagogue. He says, last week, you ate McDonald's, bacon, egg, and cheese, 99 cents, $99, whatever it is. Somebody reported today that they're actually putting the oil of, uh, of uh, bacon and other types of meat inside their coffee, McDonald's. They're actually putting signs, the uh, Department of Health. No, it's not true? No. Okay, so, Baruch Hashem, I wish it was true, so to encourage, discourage people from drinking coffee from McDonald's anyway. But nonetheless, we see last week, you ate bacon, egg, and cheese. No problem. This week, you ate bacon, egg, and cheese, you have a serious problem with God. The guy says, no problem, they convert them on the spot. On the spot, right there, and then they do brit milah. The only question that's left is whether he goes to the mikveh on the same day they do brit milah, or he waits until it heals, which takes about 30 days. That's the only question. So that was the original way of discouraging them. It all happens on the same day. It's natural questions, logical questions. They took it a little too far where they started a minah, where they say, no, 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 you want to convert? No, we don't want to convert you. Go away. And the guy actually goes away, discouraged. Poor little guy is going, saying, oh, they don't want me. No, no, no. Then his Jewish friend tells him, no, no, they want you. It's just a minah. So he goes again. He's excited. Don't want to convert. No, they don't want you. He goes back again. She goes, I told you they don't want you. Make me a fool. They go, no, it's three times. Three times they make the guy look a fool. A woman like a fool. A woman sees this. She gets discouraged by a rabbi. She wants to kill herself. This is a stupid minag. This is not a good minag. But that's what they did. If that wasn't hard enough, if that wasn't hard enough, 
It's no longer three. It could be years. Now it could be years. If you don't have the right connections, you don't have siyat dishma, you have mamash, help from heaven. To convert, it could take you 10 years to convert. I have a guy took him over 10 years to convert in France. He should have already been finished nine years ago. He knows more than most people in the world that are Jewish. He studies Torah every day. He's very serious. His wife's tzaddikah. Everything was fine. Ten years they tortured this guy. I have other people I know. One woman, five years. Five years before I met her. Five years she's going through the system. Five years. And if it wasn't for us getting involved, it would have been another 50 years. The rabbi didn't even actually think she was ever going to finish. She was just trying to like buy more time and eventually she's going to go away like a headache. So today, it's become even a bigger nightmare. There's a bunch of people that say they help convert people, but they have no intention of converting them. They have intention of collecting money from them. Oh, no, no, we don't charge for conversion. It's only $100 a class. Oh, $100 a class, no big deal. They don't know that in the mind of this fake rabbi, it's 50 classes a year for the next 10 years. The guy's going to buy another house because of this $100 a class. Yeah, it's $100 a class. Yeah, $100 a class for 50 years. You're never planning on converting the guy. Why? Because as soon as he finishes conversion, there's no more $100 a class. They made it even more difficult. So for all those that are going through conversion, want to go through conversion, first and foremost, like I said last, last week, know that whatever sacrifice you're going to endure is from God. He's just using these people as a way to test you. Because just like we learned in the beginning of this year, those that Hashem loves, He gives them a test, He gives them a rebuke. Do you really love me? So that's number one. The price you pay is from God. Second thing is, don't give up. Judaism is not about the rabbi. Judaism is not about the keilah. Judaism is about the relationship you have with God. You're not converting because of the keilah. You're not converting because of any other reason other than the fact that you want to fulfill all of God's commandments. All of them. Not one left that you can't. That you're obligated to. You, have to, you want to do all, everything. That's where you're converting. If you're trying to convert for another reason, don't convert. It's not worth it. It's much easier to fail than to succeed as a Jew. As we saw here, each mitzvah is 48 different rewards or punishments. It's very easy to just not feel like doing it. Wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like doing tefillin. I don't feel like wearing tzitzit. I don't feel like eating kosher. I want to eat the coffee with the bacon sauce in it. I want to convince McDonald's to put the bacon sauce in it. <laughs> Sounds delicious. You woke up. You work for McDonald's. You're like, you know what? I'm going to make this sign real. Many people. Many people, many people, many Jewish people with a kippah. With a kippah. I look like a liar to you. You didn't see it, Baruch Hashem. You're full of tzaddikim around you. I don't have tzaddikim around me. How about this? I have a rabbi. I have a rabbi. He's a rabbi, I know. He tells his keilah. He's a big rabbi. He tells his keilah, you go, go drink coffee at Starbucks. Owner is Jewish. Owner is a kofel. Oh, this rabbi? Uh, oh, the, uh, the the owner of Starbucks? Yeah, he's a, he's one of the liberal, self-hating Jews. Yes. But nonetheless, this rabbi, this big rabbi, tells people, yo, you go drink at uh, Starbucks coffee, no problem. So one of my tzaddikim students says to him, well, listen, uh, rabbi, um, 
Did they take their uh, utensils to the mikveh? I know it's not meat. Okay, not meat, fine. But did they take their utensils to the mikveh? Smart question. Oh, I don't know. So he said, I don't know. There's another rabbi. tells his whole keilah. This other rabbi, I don't know how big he is. This other rabbi, big keilah. He's actually a dayan. Shem Elachim, he's a dayan. Dayan. He tells people, we're going to have a Starbucks party. I'm bringing the Starbucks. He brings the Starbucks to the keilah. Thousand people in his keilah. Thousand people in his keilah. Dayan. He brings the Starbucks to the keilah. Taref. He brings it to the Jews. No, it's Starbucks. It's only coffee. What's only coffee? Nothing. There's no such thing as it's only coffee. If it doesn't have a kosher sign on it, there's a reason. There's a reason. Kosher is not like it used to be. It was hard to find a rabbi to kosher this or kosher that. It's very easy. It's organizations. Huge amount of money is, is invested into the kosher business. You want to get something kosher? Follow the procedure. You get a kosher. There's no problem. Meaning if it's not kosher, there's a reason. So for anyone, a lot of people send me questions. Oh, is this kosher? Is that kosher? I say, if there's a symbol, no, no, it's not kosher. Can't eat it? No. Yeah, there's 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 a web there's a websites that say that certain things don't need to be kosher because the actual owners have nothing. They follow certain procedures. They just don't follow the regimen of this specific organization. But they are kosher. They're certified. They just don't have the sign. But there are most of the things that don't have kosher. Ninety-nine point nine percent of the things that don't have kosher signs are not kosher. But if you want to eat something, you want to be safe. Look for the kosher sign. Oh, see, there you go. Oh, so he's upset that it's a kosher? Oh, tzaddik. <laughs> so, we go back to the chidush that Rabbeinu Hirsch said on a commentary on Parashat Bechukotai, Rabbeinu Hirsch says, the exile is going to demoralize people to the extent that even brothers will become selfish and think only of their own self-interest. This, my friends, I call the curse of the exile. And the reason why is because the self-interest that he's talking about is not self-interest where they don't want to give tzedakah. A lot of people give tzedakah. They just give the tzedakah to the Red Cross. They, they give tzedakah to save the elephant. The Jew, don't save. The elephant, you can save. Save the dolphin. Save the butterfly from going extinct. The Jew has four kids in the house, no food, no heat, no nothing, can't save him. No, no, somebody else wait. Him, Gamzula Tova, they tell me. You ever see those people? About a week ago, we found out a horrible, horrifying story of a righteous woman that uh, a husband went crazy and decided to take all the money, kick her out of the house. Why? Because he didn't want to be religious anymore. So after taking all the money, taking everything, leaving her with six kids, on top of it, it wasn't enough for him. He wanted her to pay him. She didn't have money to pay him, so he threw her in jail. This demented system we have in America actually had a judge rule in his favor. Threw her in jail for a couple of days. 
So anyway, somebody started a campaign to raise money so she could defend herself, she could get out of jail, go help, you know, take care of her kids, little kids, six little kids, or at least four of them are little. Anyway, so I told people, I posted online, please donate to this. It's, I don't know this woman, I don't know anything about it, but we verified the story. It's 100% legit. doesn't take more than two seconds to realize it's legit. And if you have a heart, you do what you can to help. So, Baruch Hashem, we have a very big reach. We reach a lot of people all over the world, so use the reach for something. It's not just about learning Torah, it's about actually living it. So he said, I told people even to the extent, listen, I believe it enough to the extent where whatever money you want to donate to me, if you don't have the ability to donate to both, donate to them. Help this woman, in jail with six kids. So you would think people would like jump, oh wow, yes, I'm going to take my master check instead of giving it to the church, I'm going to give it to her. Instead of giving it to the Red Cross, I'm going to give it to her. Instead of the elephant, the elephant will live another week, I'll give it to her. The 401k that I have, I'm going to take 100 bucks out, put it there. The savings account that has $15,000 for a rainy day, this is the rainy day. Let me put $1,000, let me do something. You would think, Am Yisrael would jump up and say, a religious Jew is in jail right now for what? For being Jewish. You would think we were back in Greece. You would think we were back in, uh, we were attacked by the Romans. No, this is in America. So what do the people say? First one says, did you uh, verify the story? Did you verify the story? Because you know there's a lot of fake stories out there. Before you verified whether Rudolph the Red Reindeer needed $50,000 for a new hoof, did you verify the story? No, you just donated 50 bucks, didn't you? Donate 20 bucks to a Jew. You verify the story. First, they want to know if you verify the story. After you see him, just press the button, the story's verified. All the facts are there, just read it. They were too lazy to read it. Or well, the best part, that wanted, my wife, Mamash, I got to a point where I wanted to vomit. The best part was, oh, Gamzulet Tuva, she'll be fine. No, Hashem, Hashem knows. Hashem knows what He's doing. Oh yeah, Hashem knows what He's doing. How come when it happens to you, and you have a flat tire, you lost your savings, you lost in the stock market, you lost your job, you lost a fingernail, you lost a screwdriver. No, it's not Gamzulatova. Not this is for the good. For you, it's, oh, Hashem, why are you doing this to me? But if it's on somebody else's cheshbon, oh, no, no, Hashem will take care of them. Them will take care of you, he can't take care of. At least do it fair. If he's going to take care of them, don't complain to me. Don't complain to anybody. You have no right to complain. But if you're going to complain, do something about it. Everyone will say, oh, Gamzulet Tova, this too is for the good. It's always for other people's life. He's going to take care of other people. Yeah, he has you in the world to do that. He gave you $50,000 a year, so you can use some of the money to help people like that. If you're not going to do it, what do I need you for? He calls the check. He calls the collateral. Rabbi Akiva says, all alone. People are surprised. Why are people dying at such a young age? They're wasting their life. Hashem is doing them a favor. He says, you're just making it worse every day for yourself. Let me bring you back. Give you another chance before you ruin it too much. It's time to help people. and Stop saying gamzul on other people's cheshbon. Other people's accounting, other people's lives. You want to do something, do something. You want to do something, be quiet. 
Stop telling other people, no, don't tell them that they have to do tshuva. If you have a better system, do something better. If not, get out of the way. Which woman? Baruch Hashem, she got out of jail, but she still has to fight the fight of our life. She still has to fight a crooked husband that's politically connected and very wealthy. So it's not finished. She's out of jail, yeah, Baruch Hashem. But uh, she still needs a lot of help. She still needs a lot of help to... Yeah, trying to... It's, it's a, a lot of balagans, a lot of balagans, a lot of problems, unfortunately. The point being is that people need to start folding up their sleeves and start helping, start doing something with the money. The money needs to be used. This, this, this terrible trait of being stingy or saving for some retirement that may never happen is, is ridiculous. It's, it's, it's mamash ridiculous. People are worshipping their money. Enough! Use it! Use it! Especially, you have opportunities. And we're not saying give your whole life savings to a strange woman. Get 50 bucks, 100 bucks. You waste that on shoes. You waste that on dinner. You lose it on the way to work. You fill up gas. It's nothing. But thousand people give 50 bucks. You got something. Because that's why Shem gave it to you. So first and foremost, Rabbi Akiva says, everything's on collateral. Know that. That's the first foundation of Yirat Shemayim. Second part, he's going to send you a lot of skills, but at the same token, he's going to give you a net. He's going to give you a trap. He's going to give you... The Satan, the Malach HaMavit, the Yetzirah is going to give you someone that's going to try to convince you all day, every day, to use those same tools, those same skills, that same money against God, against the hand that feeds you. Next, the shop is open and the merchant extends credit. Each one of us is given an opportunity. You have all these different skills, you have all this money, you have all these different things that Hashem gave you. The shop is open. The merchant is happy to give you more even, even more than what you're entitled to. He wants to give you, merchant being God. He's more than happy to give it to you. But one day you're going to have to pay back. What is it like? Person comes to, poor person comes to a rich guy and says, listen, I lost my money, I don't have any money, whatever the case may be, but I want to invest in a business. I want to invest a million dollars in a business. He goes, how are you going to pay me back? No, I'm going to make money with the million dollars. I'm going to pay you back. I don't know, a million dollars is a lot of money. No, come on, you bug the guy, you bug the guy, you bug the guy. The guy says, okay, fine, I'll give you a million bucks. Gives you a check for a million bucks. And the poor idiot, what does he do? Instead of investing the money, he just leaves it in the bank. Just to look at it every day, he goes online. What is it? Oh, I have a million bucks. Every day he looks at it, I have a million bucks. But he doesn't do anything with it. And today you don't even get interest in the banks. Sometimes you have to pay them interest to have money. One time I wanted to get a loan as a business. The bank told me, yeah, listen, if you want, give us 10 million. And we'll lend you the 10 million. I said, oh, great, great idea. So I'm going to pay interest on my own money. You're a great bank. Close my account, please. Sometimes the stupidity that we reach is, is really high. They tell, you, they tell me to give them 10 million. So they can give me 10 million back, but charge me interest on it. So now, this rich guy gave the guy a million bucks. The guy doesn't invest the money in a business. He doesn't do anything with it. He just looks at it online every day. A year passes, two years pass, five years pass, whatever passes. One day he gives the ghost to the rich guy, hey, time to pay back the loan is a million bucks. What do you think the rich guy is going to say? 
No, he's going to say, you're an idiot. He's going to say, why? Why didn't you do anything with it? Where's the prophets? Where's the anything? You bugged me, you bugged me, you bugged me to give you all these skills. You bugged me to give you all this money. You bugged me to give you this panasa. You bugged me to give you all these things. You didn't do anything with it. You're the same poor guy I, I brought into the world. Nothing changed. You're still red clothes. You're still rasha. You still didn't work anything. You're still sick. Nothing changed. The rich guy is going to be very upset. He goes, why would you bug me for? Why would you ask me to bring you to the world? For what? Why would you ask for panasa if you're not going to use anything for good? What, so you could buy a car? That's useless. Use the car for something good. No, you didn't even buy the car. You didn't do nothing. What did you do? You left it in the bank so you could say, I'll tell everybody. No, I look at my bank, I have a million dollars. Yeah, but in five years you have to return it. The rich guy gets very upset. Same thing here. Abi Akiva says the shop is open and, and the merchant is extending credit. Credit, No limits. Whatever you ask, he's going to give you. Do something with it. Because here the punishment would be twofold. Not only using the money for bad, but not using the talents and the things that he gave you for good. When it says, and Chazal says, there's going to be shame and there's going to be additional embarrassment. The, the, the sages talk about how when we get up to Shemaim, they're going to show us what we did. So there's going to be two different types of embarrassments. First, it's for sin. You go in front of your maker and say, yeah, I used the money you gave me for a poster. It says, anti-God. It's awful. Awful. That already, you want to die again. But it says that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is the second part. The second part is what you could have done with the money. Not just that you sinned with the money, but what you, the mitzvah you could have done with the money and the reward you missed out on because you used it for bad. Instead of helping to bring Amisad back to Hashem, you open a website against Hashem. You bought another pair of shoes that you don't need. They're going to sit in the closet for the next six months and no one's going to look at them. You bought another magazine subscription that you subscribe for the next five years even though you don't read. You did a lot of things that for nothing. Since that's the bigger part. That's the worst part. Because the merchant is giving credit. Whatever he want to give you. No problem. But eventually he's going to have to call the loan. And that's the next part. The ledger is open, the hands writes. And whoever wishes to borrow, let him come and borrow. Rabbi Akiva is telling you, listen, just make sure you know everything you have in this world, whether it's the dollar you have in your pocket or the thousand you have in the bank, everything is being accounted for. Everything is being accounted for. Whether you did a mitzvah with kavanah or not kavanah. You did a mitzvah, like, this is going to be the food. You know, people are like doing blessings sometimes. They swallow the words like they did a Hashem a favor. Yeah, yeah, just give me the steak. No, no, give me the steak. Everything is written down. Everything is in a ledger and the hand writes. Everything has been written, written down. Hashem is writing everything. Whoever wishes to borrow, let them come and borrow. All are welcome to ask for whatever they want. But... The collectors make their rounds constantly every day and collect payment from the person. He says that Hashem has 
Collectors. What are these collectors? Excuse me. What are these collectors? Suffering. Nisuim. The Gemara in Maseret Arachin, page 16a, teaches that even the slightest inconvenience, such as you go into your pocket to get a quarter, and instead of getting a quarter, you get 10 cents. It's a little annoying. You wanted a quarter to put it in a toll booth. You wanted a quarter to buy a piece of gum. Hopefully it's kosher. But instead, you got five cents. So what do you have to do? You have to go back into your pocket. That is also considered a very, very low level of suffering. Hashem says that's one of the collectors. Hashem sends you suffering because that's the way He communicates with you. He sends you suffering because that's the way He has to wake you up. Because without Him waking up, we may stay asleep our whole life until we eventually wake up and it's too late. So the collectors that make their rounds every day, Rabbi Akiva says, this is a figure of speech for death and other forms of punishment that are visited on the men. All of life's pains and difficulties are God's messengers to collect payment for one's moral debts. So now, people love to complain. What are they, what's the number one complaint? God. Why did he do this to me? Why do I deserve this? Why this? Why that? If God wanted me to study, then he would give me this. If God wanted me to do this, then he would do, you do business with God. But maybe God wants you to be exactly where you are. Did you ever think about that? Maybe this creator that's been here forever and will be here forever, just maybe, he knows what he's doing. So instead of questioning, why is God making it so difficult for me to get to the Shio Torah? Maybe it's because as soon as you get to the Shio Torah, you're going to fall asleep. Because you're tired. Because you worked a 12-hour day. You're still human at the end. So as soon as you get to the Shio Torah, if the, if the lecturer is interesting or not interesting, is irrelevant. You're tired. You're human. You fall asleep. But Hashem loves you. He says, you know what? I want to give him merit for going to the Shi'ur Torah. But I want to give him a big merit for going to the Shi'ur Torah. So what's a big merit for going to Shi'ur Torah? Not only am I going to make it difficult for him to get to the Shi'ur Torah, but I'm going to give him all the excuses in the world to say I'm not going. So if he gets there, even if he falls asleep, he got his schar as if he listened to the Shi'ur Torah and he knows the whole thing by heart. Maybe he knows what he's doing. Another time somebody says, yeah, but if Hashem wanted me to learn Torah, he gave me easy money. I'd be rich. Once I'm rich, everybody tells me, once I'm rich, I'm learning Torah all day. Once I make 10 million, I'm a vrech. I go to the call, I'm not leaving. What do you need 10 million for them? You could do that now for free. If Hashem wanted me to learn, then He'd make me rich. But maybe, just maybe, this God knows what He's doing. 
because he says in the Gemara, the schar, the reward for a person learning from poverty is no comparison, no comparison to the reward of someone that's learning from wealth to such an extent that when Rabbi Hanina was very poor, his wife said, maybe you pray to Hashem, you're one of his students, one of his sons, one of his children, teach, you learn, you do everything. Maybe pray to Hashem for a little panasa. A little panasa. Rabbi Hanina never really thought about, oh, okay, yeah, I'll pray for some panasa. Rabbi Hanina was holy of holies. What happens? He said, a leg of a golden table from Olamaba comes out from the sky and right next to him and his wife. Honey, here, gold that's priceless. From where? Shamayim. God sent to me. Wife goes to sleep. She has a dream about Olamaba. She sees her and her husband Olamaba. They're sitting on this table. The table has three legs, but everybody else has four legs. She wakes up in a shock. It was like a nightmare to her. Me, I was in Olamaba. I'm like, oh, wow. It's already like going to Olamaba. She has a dream about Olamaba. She sees who's in Olamaba. Where is she shocked? She shocked. She only has three legs in our, in our table. She wakes up like it's a nightmare. She tells Rabbi Harina, honey, pray to Hashem to take back the leg. Take back the money. I don't want any money. If it's going to lower our Olamaba, take it back. Rabbi Harina, no, come on. It's a miracle. We had something from Shamayim. We need the money. Ta, ta, ta. No, no, no. Take it back. Okay, let me ask my Rav. Okay, Sheilat Rav. You have a big question. To go to Rav. Who's Rav? Rebbe. Rabbi Udanasi. Rebbe Akadosh. The original Rebbe. One that wrote the Mishnah. So they go to Rebbe. And Rebbe says to Rabbi Chana, No, no, tell your wife not to worry. Whatever you're missing in Olam Abba, you could take from me. Rebbe was very, very rich. It was very, very holy. Gemara says, all the sages say in his time, that if the Mashiach came in his generation, it would be him. That's Rebbe. It would be Rebbe HaKadosh, Rabbi Udanasi. It would be him. He would be Mashiach. That's how holy he was. But he was very wealthy also. So, he tells Rabbi Chayna, tell your wife, don't worry about it. Whatever schar you're missing in Shamaim, I'll give it to you. It's on me. He goes back to the wife, says, no, 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 tell Rebbe that you can't give what you don't have. What? You can't give what you don't have. She tells Rebbe, he's trying to promise us what something he doesn't have. So he brings it with him. You tell him. I'm not going to tell my Rav this. I'm not going to talk to my Rav. I'm going to tell my Rav something like this. Chutzpah like this. But she was tzaddikah. What she mean? She says to Rebbe, Rebbe, how can you promise something that you don't have? You know that your whole life you learned Torah. You come from the Gamliel family. Kodesh Kodeshim, you have money, you have fame, you have fortune, you have anything. My husband only studied Torah in poverty. You know you can't compare the two. Rebbe Kadosh says, Tzadkani Meni. She's right. She's right. Learning in poverty, you can't compare learning in poverty to learning with money. The test of poverty is impossible. Your schal, you can't compare it to mine. It's much bigger. Hopefully you give me something. 
So all of you that are praying for money, and maybe once I have money, I'll, I'll learn Torah, maybe God is trying to reward you more. He's saying, what do you want money for? I want to reward you like Rabbi Hanina. I want to reward you like the giants of giants. Why are you so focused about this world? So, person needs to know the collectors, these isuim, these different punishments, different tests, are coming to you for a reason. In so many words, it's God talking to you. He's talking to you through actions. And sometimes the actions require a slap, require a tap, require a push. Because sometimes when we're so spiritually sick and we refuse to take the medicine, the disease grows. Disease becomes worse. To such an extent that if someone went into the water and they drowned, didn't realize that you're supposed to swim. They drowned. You pull them out of the water. First thing you do what? Try to see. Maybe they're going to by themselves. That doesn't work out. Slap them a couple of times. That doesn't work out. Give them mouth to mouth. A little uncomfortable. You give them mouth to mouth. That doesn't work out. Maybe a combination of mouth to mouth and slapping maybe. I'm not a certified lifeguard guy. But that doesn't work. What do you do? You bring the electricity. Shock them. Hurts, by the way. Hurts. Hurts a lot. You shock a regular person, they want to die. So just do the end results of shock. What are you shocking me for? But someone that's dead, you shock them, maybe they go back to life. You shock them. But what if it doesn't work? Then you call Chiva Kadisha, you start saying, Goodbye. Hashem says to you, listen, you shouldn't go into the bad water. You shouldn't go play with the Yetzirah. You're going to go with the Yetzirah, you're not going to come out okay. You say, no, 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 I can pass. I can go to the baseball game and be okay. I can go to the club and not sin. I can go to the bar and not sin. I can go out with my girlfriends and not sin. I can go all these things. You do all these things and not sin. You tell the guy, listen, you know, you and your assistant, you can't work in the office alone together at night. You can't. No one else is coming in. It's not allowed. No, no, no. My assistant, she's married. She's older than me. She's younger than me. She's this to me. She's like my daughter. She's like my this. And how many stories like that you hear? You know how many marriages are broken because of this assistant or because of this boss? Thought that they could handle their Yetzirah? Or sometimes they say, listen, people always like to tell me, listen, call my wife, talk to her for me. I'm like, you what? You're just that comfortable with me talking to your wife? I'm just another guy, just talking to your wife. You talk to your wife, tell me what she said. People have an easy time giving other guys their wife's phone number. If it's absolutely necessary, it's professionally made, you know who the guy is, maybe. But the problem is that a lot of guys start handling their relationship with their wife like it's just another thing. It's not a big deal. Listen, 
Can you go pick up my wife from the airport? Listen, can you take my wife to the airport? To the airport? Can you take her to the mall? Can you show her around? Can you do this? You have this employee of yours become a chauffeur for your wife. The next thing you know, the employee is going to be our second husband. Or the wife says, no, no, you're just hanging out with my girlfriends. She's very comfortable that her husband hang out, hangs out with girlfriends. No, she's just my friend. I know her from childhood. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. He's my husband. He loves me. Look, he bought me a diamond chain. Yeah, he bought her one too. He bought her one too. Everyone's comfortable giving their wives and husbands free room with other people. I'm not saying you have to lock them in chains and put them in a closet. But come on. It's too much freedom, too much... No, no, everything's going to be okay. Is it such a wonder that the divorce rate in the world today is over 80% just in the United States alone? Social media is one of the poisons, but it's not the biggest reason. The biggest reason is the free-mindedness that we have. It's going to be okay. She's my girlfriend. I know her from childhood. Yeah, he knows her from childhood too, or he thinks of something else, or something, or something, or something, and then something else happens. All of these things happen with the people that are closest to you. The people that hurt you the most sometimes are the ones that are closest to you. The ones that you don't know usually don't hurt you because you don't know them. So, Hashem is sending you different tikkunim, different punishments, different trials, different things. He says, don't play with the water, my son. Don't play with the water. Don't send them with the girl. Don't send them with the guy. Don't go to the club. Don't go out with underwear. Don't do this. Don't hang out with this guy. Yeah, but he's a nice guy. It doesn't matter he's a nice guy. He does drugs all day. Nice guy or not nice guy, you're a former alcoholic. You can't hang out with him. You're about tshuva. You can't hang out with him. No, no, I'm going to try to help him do tshuva. You have to do tshuva first. Then you go help other people. Shem says, stop playing with the water. You want to go play with the water. So what happens? You drown. Shem says, okay, no, he drowns again. Bring him out. Depends how much you drown. So first they slap you. He gives you a few tikkunim. You lose the money. You have a few arguments. The kid gets hurt. This, all these different things happen. Not enough. You don't get to, that's not enough. You got deeper. Stop punching you. They start giving you mouth to mouth. It's uncomfortable. They start putting the electric shock on you, put you on a doctor's bed, and you don't feel like whether you're going to survive the week or not. He has to do this for you because you ruined it. He sends you the collectors. Now, what about if you don't believe in it? No, no, I don't believe it's this. I don't believe it's that. Rabbi Akiba knew about that too. He says, Moses got the entire Torah in Mount Sinai. The entire Torah is relevant to even a generation like we have today full of atheists. A generation full of atheists says, no, I don't believe in God. So this Mishnah says, whether he realizes it or not. Whether he realizes there's Tikkunim or not, whether he realizes there's a God or not, whether he realizes it's all collateral or not. Whether you agree to it or not is irrelevant. You go up to Shemaim, they're not going to ask you, do you believe in God? Because you see it. They ask you, why didn't you? Follow what he said. If you look at the Gemara and it says, there's a few questions they ask you. 
Were you honest in your business? Did you make time to learn Torah? I ask you these questions. They don't ask you, did you believe in God? Why? You see it. It's in front of you. They ask you, why didn't you do what he said? Whether you realize that you don't have to pay the bill or not is irrelevant. For all those people who say, no, no, but he wasn't brought up religious. Neither was Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't brought up religious. He was brought up in Pharaoh's house. Brought up in Pharaoh's house. He wasn't religious. Can't be religious around the, all the uh, Egyptians. You can't use those excuses. No, I didn't know. What, you knew now? You're Jew? Yeah, you knew that Shabbat exists. You knew. Start doing something about it. Whether you realize it or not is irrelevant. They have proof to rely on. The judgment is truthful. It's a truthful judgment. Last couple of points is, is that it says that they have proof to rely on. Meili says they is referring to the sinners themselves. The sinners have something to rely on, meaning they have something being, they have tshuva. After you went into the water, when Hashem told you, don't go into the water. After you drowned and Hashem told you, hey, no, come on, wake up. I slapped you a few times. Wake up now. You don't want to wake up. He's punching you. You don't want to wake up. Mouth to mouth. You don't want to wake up. Shock. You don't want to wake up. Lose money, lose this, lose this. You don't want to wake up. You want to stay chiloni. You want to stay against God. You want to stay atheist. You want to stay full of excuses. You want to stay liberal. Even after all of those things, and send you tikkunim, says you always have an opportunity to do tshuva. You always, as long as the light is on, you have an opportunity to do tshuva. Because the judgment is going to be a truthful judgment. Judgment is going to show you everything you knew you did. They're not going to show you any surprises. No surprises. There's no surprises in the Bedin of Shemaim. They show you your life. They show you you. You stole from your best friend. You cheated on your husband. You cheated on your wife. You stole from this. You did this. They show you you doing it. That's the embarrassment. That's the first part of Gainom. Everybody's worried about Gainom, Gainom, Gainom. It's the first part. It's the embarrassment makes you want to die again. The real Gainom after that is much, much hotter. And much worse. But the first part is they show you you doing things that are the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. And you saying, yeah, I did it. You can't lie over there. I did it. Yeah, yeah. I cheated. I lied, I did this, I did that, I, I did it. What are you going to say? Truthful judgment. Why is all this? Why? Why? Why is Hashem sending you all these tikkunim, all of these isurim, all of these problems? Why is He constantly trying to shake you? Wake up! You're sick! Wake up! Wake up! Why? Why is He giving you a flat tire? Why is He taking all your money? Why is He making your house a disaster, World War Seven between you and your husband every other day? Why? Why is there so many problems? Last part of the Mishnah. Everything is being prepared for the final festive meal. What's the final festive meal? Final festive meal is one of two choices. One, 
you celebrate in Shemaim for passing all these tests, or two, you survive in a generation that we live in, the generation of the Mashiach. Mashiach arrives, Bezot Hashem, very soon. No more time. Time's out. No more, oh, no, no, I'll do tshuva now. No, I'll start working. Where's your own? Where's your own? I want to learn Musar now. Yeah, that Musar book, yeah, yeah. I actually had it on my shelf. I was just about to start reading it. I was just about to start reading. I got to page 27. Yeah, there's 490 pages. 27, you just finished the index. No more time. No more time. And the reality of it is that even if the Mashiach comes in 10 years, it may not be enough time anyway. Everyone thinks, no, no, I'm going to do tshuva. I'm going to start keeping Shabbat. That's it, I'm finished. No, my friends. You want to do tshuva? You have to do real tshuva. Real tshuva takes time. Real tshuva means you need to keep everything you know. You learn about kosher, you got to keep kosher all the time. You learn about Shabbat, you have to start learning Alachot Shabbat. Someone who doesn't learn Alachot Shabbat is definitely breaking Shabbat. Even if they think that it's Sadiqim and they're not breaking Shabbat, they're breaking Shabbat. I tell you from my own experience. I started doing Tshuva, I thought I was the biggest Sadiq in the world. I was convinced God was going to talk to me face to face like He did Moshe Rabbeinu. While I'm keeping Shabbat on the 35th floor, I'm not leaving the house. I'm like, you can't violate Shabbat if you don't leave the house. TV's off. In those days, we still had cable and stuff, unfortunately. TV's off, not watching TV. Computer's off. Electric, whatever I'm using, is turning on, leaving it on. I am the best Shabbat keeper in history, I'm telling myself. Best! Start learning Alachot Shabbat. We have a problem. What's the problem? I'm breaking Shabbat. How am I breaking Shabbat? I said, you know, part of Shabbat is Onik Shabbat. Onik Shabbat. Onik Shabbat is enjoying Shabbat. The joy of Shabbat. So part of my Onik Shabbat was making sauce. On Shabbat, I would take these tomatoes and grind them with my hand. Grind the tomatoes. It's really delicious. And put some hot peppers on it. And put some spices on it. To put it on the part of the meal. But make it fresh on Shabbat. Little did I know, you're not allowed to grind on Shabbat. Same thing like lighting fire, grinding on Shabbat. I'm thinking of tzaddik. You don't learn Alachot Shabbat, you're breaking Shabbat, my friend. So tshuva is, no, 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 I'm just sleeping all day on Shabbat, I'm a tzaddik. I go to Shia once a week, I'm a tzaddik. No, my friends. It takes time to do tshuva. Don't think just because you started keeping Shabbat last week, you're already finished. You have to work on your Alachot, everything you need to learn. Second thing is, you have to work on your midot, your character traits. If you're stingy, if you are, uh, a, uh, I don't know, angry person, if you are, uh, you know, you have no confidence in Hashem, you have no emunah, you have all these different negative traits, you have to fix them. The sages asked, the Gaumivina, if it was so important for us to work on our character traits, why didn't they make it part of the 613 mitzvot? The Gaumivina answer, he says, because the whole point of the mitzvot is to fix your midot, to fix your character traits. That's why Hashem gave you so much stuff to do. To keep you busy and keep you out of trouble while at the same time using those things that you're doing to develop those midot. 
So you wake up in the morning, you say, Modani teaches you to be grateful. First thing in the morning, be grateful. Why? You have a soul, you have a body, you have eyes, you have ears. Why are you complaining? What are you complaining about? You have no money? Do you know how much somebody that's rich is going to pay for one eye? You know how much someone that's rich will pay for a liver? You know Steve Jobs, before he died, he was an atheist. But he had at least $7 billion. Some say much more. At least $7 billion he had. Why did he die? His liver wasn't good. Now if you told Steve Jobs before he died, we have a new liver, but it cost $6 billion, We're going to leave you $1. Do so you pay or not? Or you die tomorrow. We're going to leave you with a dollar, so at least you get coffee from Starbucks, maybe. With the uh, pig's oil in it. No, you need five bucks for Starbucks, I think. So not even Starbucks. You have to go to McDonald's with the pig oil, for sure. No, we're leaving you one dollar. You have one date, you have choice. Right now, you make a choice. All of your money leaving you one dollar, or you die. Is he pay or not? Any fool think no? He pays. You have it for free. You have it for free. You wake up in the morning every day and it works for free. What are you complaining about money? You know how much Ray Charles will pay to see with your eyes? No, rich he is, how much money he had, but how much he would give all of it to see for one day. Blind person never seen, you give him your eye. One eye, not two eyes. You have two eyes for free. He gives you everything for one eye. One eye. Give it for free. I think Beethoven was, was deaf. Either Beethoven or one of the other legends in music was deaf. And he achieved an extraordinary amount of success in music while being deaf. But you know what? He would give you all of that success just to be able to hear his own music or somebody else's music, a fifth grader's music, playing one of his songs with one ear, not two. You have two for free. What are you complaining about money? We complain nonstop because we have no idea what we have. Hashem is telling you, I'm preparing you. I'm talking to you. I'm giving you different trials, different tribulations, different issues in your life because you just don't get it. You just don't get it. You're still complaining about money for no reason. You're still complaining about stuff you don't have when you really have it. Stop complaining. Do something. Fix yourself. Little by little, I'll give you more. But fix yourself first. Stop asking for a raise when you're not even doing any good with what I gave you. Because eventually the clock runs out. If the Mashiach shows up, everyone's going to see it. Everyone that's alive is going to see it. And if you look in the book of Isaiah, Chapter 65, verse 10. It's extraordinary what it says here. For all of those sick souls in the world that don't believe in reward and punishment, 
All you have to do is go to this chapter. In the time of the Mashiach, this is what it says. But you have forsaken Hashem, who who have forgotten my holy mountain, who set the table for God, who filled the libations for many, many, in essence he's saying, not only did you forget God, you went and idol worshipped. You went to Christianity. You went to Catholicism. You went to Buddha. You went to all this garbage. Instead of the source of all water, you went to some cistern, broken cistern in the middle of the desert, looking for what? He gave you everything. You went somewhere else. He gave you the money. You used it to go against him. I will consign you with the... uh, I will consign you to the sword and all of you will slump down a slaughter because I called and you did not answer. Sam says, I kept sending you calls. I kept sending you text messages. I kept talking to you. Nothing. You don't pick up the phone. Hello, I'm not home. Hello, I'm not home. Hashem's talking to you. He sent you this. He sent you that. No, no, I'm not home. You're telling God I'm not home. I spoke and you did not hear. You did what is evil in my eyes and what I did not desire you choose. Therefore, thus said my Lord Hashem, Behold, my servants will eat and you will starve. My servants will drink and you will thirst. My servants will rejoice and you will be ashamed. My servants will exult from goodnesses, good-heartedness, and you will cry out from the pain of heart and wall from a broken spirit. First level of punishment, Shemirachem at the time of Mashiach, Prophet Isaiah is telling us, first level is Hashem is going to make all the Rashaim, all the people that went against God, watch the reward of the Tzadikim. All of the people that don't want to do tshuva, don't want to learn musar, don't want to fix their midot, don't want to do nothing. No, no, no. Hashem loves me. Hashem loves me. What loves you? You're an enemy. Every week, every week you say he doesn't exist by not keeping Shabbat. Every week you're making his children sin by walking immodestly. Every day you're violating your time that he gave you by using it to watch baseball, football, basketball, everything but Shio Torah. Every day. You're not a friend. You're an enemy. According to him. Go to the description of what he says. Uh, who's an enemy? Who's a friend? Who's a lover? Who's an enemy? He tells you. Last three verses. I pay my lovers, those who keep my mitzvot for thousands of generations, but for my haters, meaning the opposite, those who don't keep mitzvot, I punish them by giving them cash to their face, their reward right up front. Why? To eliminate them. Eliminate them before the Mashiach comes. Eliminate them because they have no Allah about. Eliminate them because he doesn't want to see them anymore. I gave you money, you used it against me. I gave you health, you used it against me. I gave you legs, arms, eyes, ears, everything, you used it against me. The time of Mashiach, he says, part of the first level of punishment before Gehenom, before the hot, before everything, he's going to make all the Rashaim watch the Tzadikim. He says, what? This is what you could have had. Your whole life you chased money. Why? Because you were looking at MTV cribs, looking at other people's houses. One of the Ten Commandments, you're not allowed to be jealous of people. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Even the Goim know this. 
You're not allowed to be jealous of people what he has. You can't look at other people's house. Oh, look at his house. Look at his this. Look at his that. What are you looking for? Why are you looking at his house? What's it to you how much money he has? What's it to you what kind of car he has? Why are you looking? Why are you jealous? Are you saying God made a mistake? He should have gave it to you, not him. Are you saying God made a mistake? Chutzpan. Why are you looking at his money? Why are you looking at his pocket? Why are you counting how much money he has? Why? Why do you care? Why do you care if he's successful or not? He pays your bills? You're not allowed. You're not allowed to do these things. Why? It's going to ruin you. It's poison. So your whole life you're chasing money. Why? Because you want to be like him. You want to be like the guy that has a penthouse. And the car parks in the living room. It's not good enough for him to park in a garage like the rest of mankind. He has to park, put the car with the fumes, with all the garbage. He wants to put it in the living room so he can look at it. If that's what you've gotten to in your life, where you have to look at your car in your living room, you, my friend, are worse than dead. You have serious problems. You need to look at your car in the living room, you're miskin. You know all those people, all day they take selfies. All day, take selfies, selfies. Well, you don't have anybody to give you a picture. Take a picture of you. You can't ask any normal human being, say, take a picture of me. All day taking selfies. I right, once in a while, I understand, you want to take a picture. There's nobody around, you want to take a selfie with you and your wife or your kid or whatever. But all your pictures are selfies, you have nobody around you to give you a picture. Or people take pictures of their food. What do I care what you eat? Why do I care what you eat? They take pictures of their food. They went to a restaurant, want to show everybody what they ate. Why? Why? Because they want to show off. I went to this restaurant and you know how expensive this restaurant is. I'm in this way. I'm in Tahiti. I'm in Bali. I'm in this one. I'm in the casino. I'm in this. I'm in Gehenom. I'm in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm in this one. I'm in all these places. Why? Why are you causing other people to be jealous? Why? Why are you causing other people to be jealous? You know you're going to have to pay for it also. He's jealous. He's an idiot that he's jealous. He's jealous of nothing. He's jealous of material. You are trying to make him jealous from what? Why don't you tell him about the fight you just had with your husband? Before you took the picture of the food, because the husband left, left you. The only thing that was left in the room was you and the food. The husband left. So you're pretending like your life is great, so you took a picture of the food. Why are you making people jealous? Why? We have to start realizing we have to fix it. We have a lot of problems. We have a lot of sicknesses. But it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to be sick. Because it's a cure. It's a cure. You learn Torah, it's a cure. You start doing things secure. It's okay to be sick. It's not okay to deny it. It's not okay to say, yeah, no, no, I'm not sick. What do you mean not sick? Dude? Your arm's falling off, my friend. Your arm's falling off. Your foot doesn't look that good either. Your arm's falling off. No. You're sick. You don't look that good. You're chivel, you know, you look a little white, shade of see-through parts of your body. No, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. What fine? Your eye just fell out while I'm talking to you. You're not fine. No, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm strong. I feel stronger than ever. You're sick. You're sick. The guy gets angry because somebody cut him off in the highway. You're sick. Why are you so angry? He cut you off, big deal. So why he cut you off? So what? Who do you think you are? Why? No one's ever going to cut you off. You're like the, everybody, they're going to cut off everybody else except you. 
Why, you never cut off anybody? You're the tzaddik driver? You always signal when you, uh, when you pass, even at 2 o'clock in the morning? You signal? You never cut off anybody? You're Mr. Tzaddik. There's a keeper on your, on your roof. So why he cut you off? Oh, she gave me an attitude. Okay, so she gave you an attitude. He gave you an attitude, really. He's trying to make her give you a test. So what she give you an attitude? Does that mean you have to act like an animal? No. Relax. Why? Mashiach comes, no more time. No more time. Even if the Mashiach is going to come in 10 years from now, maybe it's not enough time. Unless we start working on it today. We start working on it today. We start fixing ourselves today. We start looking in the mirror the way the mirror is supposed to be looked at and start saying, I have this problem, that problem, this problem, and that problem. I have a wealth of problems. Pick one. Pick one to fix. You can't fix everything one day. Pick one to fix. Pick one. Start working on it. After you start it, okay, get some momentum, fix the next one. Get some momentum, fix the next one. Get some momentum, fix the next one. Next thing you know, you're a different, better version of you. You're not as sick anymore. So at least when the Mashiach arrives, or when the loan is being called from Shemaim, earlier than you expected, you say, ah, here's my tzaddik son. No, tzaddik, I was still uh, learning Allah Shabbat. I was still, you know, but you're tzaddik. No, no, I, I'm telling you, God, I can't lie to you. I didn't know the Allah of Shabbat. There was three books. I only knew one. No, you're tzaddik. No, what do you mean? God, I, I still didn't know. No, no, you're tzaddik. Why? Because you tried. I gave you tools and you tried your best. You're tzaddik. Whatever tools I gave you, you did the best you could with the tools. You're tzaddik. Nothing to worry about. Yeah, there's certain things you have to pay the bill on, certain things, but you're tzaddik. Why? You tried your best. You tried your best, you're okay. You have nothing to worry about. Mashiach, no Mashiach. You have, you have nothing to worry. You tried your best. But can any of us really, right now, answer yourself before you go to sleep? Think about this. Say Shema Yisrael before you go to sleep. But during Shema Yisrael, say, Am I trying my best? Am I trying my best? Am I trying my best? Am I, try, am I really the best version of me like I am right now? Am I using all the tools that I have to be me? The best version of me. If it was chasing a million dollars, I would be like a missile. Going to Beknesset, not so much. Learning Torah, not so much. Working on Shlom Bayit, eh. Raising kids, eh. Everything is like 25, 30, 40 percent. It's like the dying iPhone. You turn the iPhone on in the morning, it already died. That's sometimes our mitzvot. Am I trying my best? You do before you my side say, am I doing my best? Am I more concerned about collecting mitzvot or collecting dollars so I can tell people my stock account is at all-time highs? If you have a huge bank account, a huge stock portfolio, a huge investment, retirement, but there's poor people around you, you have to know. You have to know this. You have to pay for that. God didn't give you money to your savings accounts. You have money. There's poor people around you. There's people that are learning Torah their whole life. They have nothing to eat. You have worried about your savings account. You have a problem in Shemaim. You're worrying about IRA account. 
The guy didn't make his rent payment, doesn't have chicken to put in a chicken soup. You have a problem. He's connected to you, you have a problem. So this is, just gives you a small token of the disease we have. Good news is we can fix it. How? Start like this. You listen to Shio Torah, you go home, you ask yourself a question, where do I stand? And tomorrow morning, Be'ezrat Hashem, you wake up refreshed, alive, and aware. I have something to fix.